Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week on the podcast, we did something a little bit different. We asked some different folks if they would take a few minutes and answer the same question from their different perspectives. Here's the topic or the question. At this time of the rolling year, many make resolutions, resolving to change this or that about themselves, often without lasting success. In your spiritual journey, what has God used and in what circumstances to affect real, lasting change towards a more Jesus-like version of you? What advice would you give an interested person on how God affects lasting change from your experience with Him? Okay, first you're going to hear from Brad and Molly Warren. Then, after that, you'll hear from Janet Sims, and then from me. Happy New Year, everybody. So, how do we change for the better? First off, this is not a comprehensive overview on change. Since we were asked to speak on it, Brad and I realized that apparently we have a lot of opinions on change. Um, But we only have 10 minutes, um, so we'll just hit some highlights and move on. Uh, We don't have the key to stopping smoking and losing weight. We just have some thoughts. Okay, so first of all, we believe as Christians that our lives are a mess and that we need saved. Okay. Uh, But sometimes we feel like maybe if we worked a little bit harder, we would need a little less saving, you know? Or maybe, uh, like, we feel like we get saved to a certain point and then the rest is up to us, okay? But um, the truth is, what we really need is a, a miraculous love that saves us and continues to work in our lives to do the changing, okay? So what we've found is that the way lasting change happens in our lives is that the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work in us that makes that change happen. Often against our will. Often using hard circumstances to teach us things, to force us to do things, to open our eyes to things, or to make us experience the change that is happening in us. He brings us closer to Him. He brings us closer to needing Him, to being poor in spirit. Often it's not any fun while it happens. Because hard circumstances land in our home, in our health, and in our relationships. And then we wake up one day and we realize that this is what we are doing now. There is no going back. I know many of you can relate. The truth is that real change is difficult, and it often comes through hard circumstances. This is not a popular opinion um, and thought for the average American. We are told we have the right to complete freedom, to self-care, to me time, to rest, to entertainment, the right and even the expectation to be Instagrammable with our motto of God's got it. It is difficult to accept in a land where anyone can be anything and have anything that most of it is a total lie. And it is even more difficult to accept that sometimes, sometimes the problem is me. I have found that the real change in my life comes through God wringing my neck and setting me down hard, then pulling me up in his arms while I cry and tell him how much I hate it. We may be better on the other side, but we are not always purely happier because ignorance is bliss, right? And because sometimes you can't unknow things. My closest friends know this. They have literally prayed with me while I cry a foot-long snot rocket from my nose. Those are the friends everyone wants, by the way, the snot rocket friends. Um, But anyway, I digress. So we're better because of hard circumstances. 
Uh, we're going to bear more fruit, more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's not always linear because we also become more aware. And you can call that wisdom if you want. Um, and we'll also have clearer priorities, and maybe that's wisdom too. But that awareness, knowing what we can't unknow, is going to mess up our peace for a while. New priorities are going to test our self-control. Hard circumstances are going to wear out our patience and might show me that I'm not really all that kind or good. Also, sometimes, and this gets truer as we get older, we really don't have any idea what God is doing. We don't know why it's happening. We're desperate for it to count for something. Sometimes we can't see how it will, but we keep believing that he knows what he's up to, even when we don't see how these things can be good. Molly has this great phrase that she says that helps me out a lot. She says, we don't understand God's currency, but we understand his nature. And for me, this is where things get really, really simple. For me, there is a real peace in accepting that I have absolutely no idea what he is doing. <laughs> My job is a place that proves this for me. Um, I'm a PA in the ER at Children's Hospital. I am not a nurse. Um, I do everything the doctors do except codes. I've been there for about 16 years. Um, and also for the record, pediatrics is not cute. Our patients are cute, but our job is difficult. Most people don't get to see the reality of an ER world. It is ugly and sad and senseless. Because folks, our world is broken. It is burning down. I know it. People who work in Young Life know it. People like Potts who go sit with sad, lonely, hard, forgotten people know it. The world is full of people, circumstances, and things that make absolutely no sense to me. I used to try and find the lesson. I used to lean on, but God is teaching me X, Y, and Z. But I don't do that anymore. I have absolutely no idea why he did that or let that happen. Life can feel really mean. But while I do not understand his currency, the comings and goings of what he's doing, I understand his nature, and his nature is love. Mm -hmm. A love that is both using me and making me, because he is working on me, and he is working on you, and because he is doing something important that myself and yourself will never, ever understand. And along the way, I'm being changed by it. I'm being refined. I liken it to being middle-aged at the beach. You know how when you're really young, and some of you are still there, Get ready, because this is coming. Um, you go to the beach, and you feel like everybody's watching you. You're all nervous. Does my hair look cute? Does my suit look cute? Did they see me pick the wedgie when I was getting out of the beach? And then you get into middle life, and you have a bunch of kids, and you sprout grays, and you can't get it together to go work out. And I am so irrelevant at the beach, it's amazing. <laughs> no one cares about some rando middle-aged woman at the beach. I'm running around with my sunscreen and my hat and my cellulite flapping, and I'm having a blast with my children. <laughs> I have accepted my irrelevance. Irrelevance is so underrated. And this is where I circle back. There is a bit of Jewish wisdom that really speaks to me. All of us have two pockets. In one pocket is the reality that I am no one. I am a speck on a tiny planet with all the other specks in the vast expanse of space and time, and I am nothing. And then in the other pocket is the reality that I am the only one. I am the only me that will ever be. God made me and is making me. 
I am loved and known by him. I can trust him because he knows what's best for me. So let's talk about a little scripture with this. Obviously, we have to look at James 1, 2 through 4. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When I brought that up with Molly earlier this week, in a moment of beautiful honesty, (laughs) uh, she just scoffed at the idea of pure joy in hard circumstances. Um, And we need to acknowledge that. And we also need to look uh, and acknowledge that James, in his his scripture there, he he talks about perseverance. Um, I don't like running. Okay, some crazy weirdos in this room like running. I don't like running. I like having run. I persevere so that I ha- could have run, like so that I had run, right? Um, the message translation interprets that pure joy line as, as a sheer gift, okay? Both Molly and I can get behind that. Real change through difficulty is a sheer gift. We value the things we go through because we value being mature and complete, or at least closer to it. As Romans 8, Romans 8 says, all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, who are chosen to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. If we want to be, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be mature and complete, if we want to share in the loving nature of God, then we can see hard circumstances for the gift that they are. How else do we share in Christ's sufferings so that we can also share in his glory? That's also in Romans 8. He gave himself away. Should we expect to have it differently? How else do we learn to be like him? So what can we do to have lasting change? Well, the start of our journey with Jesus is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And now, through good times and bad, that's what we'll keep doing. We will let him be in charge no matter what he asks of us. We will want him to lead us even when obedience makes things harder for us. And we will keep believing in him, in who he is, and how he loves us, and his promises, even when we don't see the end. Like Tom says, do we really believe that God has the right to tell us what to do? If the answer is yes, then as my kids would say, let's go. (laughs) I don't have to understand it. I just need to do it because he asked me to. And because his nature is love, friends. His nature is love. Good morning. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Let's find it. Okay. Okay, so years ago, I decided to become a more patient and understanding driver. I think we all probably know how frustrating it can be on the road with the other cars who have a mind of their own. So I decided to change my attitude about that. I started leaving myself extra time for every commute. That way I was never in a hurry or late. So when someone drove impossibly slow in front of me, I just told myself, they're probably unfamiliar with this road. Or they're new to driving. Or maybe they're just having a rough day, and then I would graciously slow to their pace, and boom, I had done it. 
I was a kinder person. <laughs> I had changed myself. This had been going on, like I said, for several years, and I was pretty proud of it, um, until one day a couple of weeks ago. Due to circumstances outside of my control, I found myself running very, very late for something that was important to me. So I jumped in the car and I took off. Immediately, there was traffic holding me back. I swerved, I sped, I grumbled. I could feel my kindness disappearing. I knew it was happening and I tried to be patient, but I just couldn't. These people were in my way, making me more late. I ran a red light. <laughs> it had only just turned red, but I mean, that's still red. So <laughs> another car jammed on its horn to scold me. And the sound of it resonated with the guilt I felt welling up inside of me already. It turns out, after all those years, I hadn't actually changed my heart to be kinder. I had just manipulated circumstances so that it was usually easy to be kind. When those circumstances changed, there I was, the same rage-filled driver I had always been. <laughs> Can anyone relate? <laughs> do you ever just declare, I'm going to do better from here on out, only to discover that you really can't, no matter how hard you try? I mean, maybe you get a good few days, even weeks out of it, but soon enough, your resolve fails. I believe that's because change doesn't actually work the way we think it does. At least it hasn't in my life. We muster up all the resolve and willpower that we can to force ourselves to change because we think change is all about us. But let's suppose for just a second that it's not. The Bible tells us that we will finally be perfected in heaven, but how does that actually work? I found a verse that explains it and I'm gonna read it to you. It's 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. So in this passage, John is referring to Christ's second coming, when our faith will turn to sight. Jesus will literally appear before us, we will finally see him with our eyes, and then according to John, because we see him, we will become like him. And that's the goal, isn't it? I mean, all of our wrestlings with our own shortcomings would be resolved if we could just act and love and live and be like Jesus. But what if this same concept could be applied to our lives today, even before he comes again? What if we could become just a little bit more like Jesus by seeing as him as he truly is today? Because he's here, you guys. My eyes cannot see him yet but I know from personal experience and his precious promises that he's here with me always, every day. What would happen if I could tune my eyes to see him more? I've been trying this in my own life and I wanna share some examples from my experiences. First, at a holiday party this season, we were playing that game where you choose a gift and then you open it and then the people after you can either um, choose a new gift or like steal your gift. 
So, Coach Mullins, a full-grown and very respectable man, <laughs> opens his gift, and guys, it is a neon, multicolored ladies backpack. <laughs> he slung it over his shoulder, and we all chuckled at the incongruity. Then, someone stole his gift. So, he opened a new box, careful to choose a different shape, and he pulled out an identical neon multicolored. <laughs> we burst into laughter. What are the odds? When that one got stolen, because it was a really nice backpack if you were a woman, he picked up and opened a smaller gift. And we were all shocked to see a neon multicolored ladies fanny pack. <laughs> The room roared with laughter. We had no idea it could get funnier. It was a simple, happy moment with friends. But if you squint your eyes just a little, you can see Jesus in it. He gifted us that belly laugh, because he likes to hear us laugh. And he knew we needed it. Also, on a deeper level, he valued his own fellowship with the Trinity so much that he gifted us with something similar, friendship. And when you see Jesus in your friends or time spent with them, it changes you just a little, doesn't it? Yes. In my life, I found it makes me more grateful for Jesus, mm -hmm. more grateful for my friends, yeah. and it causes me to love more. In turn, that actually changes my heart just a little. Another time in Waffle House, I was eating alone, so I put my headphones in. I turned on Dvorak's Humoresque number 7 in G-flat major. <laughs> now, I'm not usually so sophisticated in my musical taste, but Lee had just gone on and on about how he loved Dvorak. So I figured I'd give it a try. The song began with a lovely, lighthearted melody. Then it swelled into more instruments. But after a bit, a more melancholy strain was played by a lone violin. It didn't match the carefree tone of the rest, but my heart recognized it. Then all of the sudden, every instrument joined in on that sadder melody. My eyes welled with tears, and I, I wept. It was just so beautiful. It felt like that sad violin had cried out all alone amidst the joy of the other instruments. And they had heard it. Mm -hmm. And they answered with their wholehearted encouragement. That mirrors my life. There have been several times over the years when I have cried out feeling all alone. And I've been heard by my Savior, by Daniel, by Lee and Tom, by so many of my friends. It was a simple, slightly embarrassing moment weeping in Waffle House. <laughs> but if you squint your eyes just a little, you can see Jesus in it. He created the very concept of beauty. He's the kind of God who isn't only concerned with the practical things of life, but also the enjoyable things. And he gave me that precious moment of hearing my life played in song to encourage me to remember his provision. It gave me strength for that day, and once again, gratitude, both of which changed me for the better. And lastly, when I was in labor with my oldest daughter, things just kept going wrong. It was really physically difficult, not to mention super scary and emotional. And all of those hours, you guys, they didn't let me eat a thing. It was exhausting. So after it was over and I was holding my gorgeous girl, they finally asked what I wanted to eat. 
I said, I don't know, maybe a cheeseburger. <laughs> I was kind of tired. <laughs> and they brought me this ugly hospital burger. And I took one bite, and y'all, it was heaven in my mouth. <laughs> I have never had a better burger. We're talking one of the best meals of my entire life. It was a simple moment, but if you squint your eyes just a little, you can see Jesus in it. He made tasty food. We could all be like flowers and just go outside and photosynthesize our lunch, but instead, he created taste buds and cheese. <laughs> what a kind and fun God. And he made it so that after you work really hard, your food just tastes better. That's so creative. Knowing that God loves me so much that he wants me to enjoy even the mundane aspects of my life, like nourishing my body, makes me so grateful and so joyful that my heart actually changes just a little. So this new year, if you're asking my advice, I would say it's time to consider the possibility that personal resolutions and willpower might not be the path to real lasting change. In my experience, change always begins and ends in Christ. So this coming year, let's all take those simple moments in our lives and squint our eyes just a little so that we can see Jesus in them. And seeing Jesus as he is, we will become like him. I love this question because it says, you know, basically a lot of people make New Year's resolutions and don't keep them. Um, so what really works? I love that because I hate New Year's resolutions. I hate them. Does anybody else hate them? I hate them. I don't do them. I, and those of you who have found so much success in them, I mean, we're supposed to love everybody and I love you in the Lord, but kind of rolling my eyes too. all that willpower and self-discipline. Here's how you get your six pack in 2023 or whatever. I'm out. Okay, on all of that. And in fact, I'm, I'm not the only one rolling my eyes. There's actually the Bible rolls its eyes at all of that willpower and self-discipline and stuff too. And for those of you who hate resolutions, you're going to love this verse. At the end of Colossians chapter 2, y'all remember that place where Paul says, these people that put all these regulations on themselves and that, you know, it has all this false humility and this harsh treatment of the body. He says, but it lacks any value. And I'm like, there you go. I like that. I can get behind that Bible verse. It lacks any val any value in uh, you know stopping your sinful indulgence or what sensual indulgence. He says. So I'm like, yeah, the 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 willpower thing, the gritting your teeth, the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't buy it. I don't believe it doesn't work. And by the way, the people that are actually the real ex experts on lasting change in this world are folks who have made it through and worked the program of twelve step recovery programs. And like AA and NA, and those folks will tell you, willpower, it's won't power. Okay, it is not, that is, you are not who you think you are, and that whole thing is a joke. So I'm not going forward into anything with that. But when I look back at my own life, I realize something curious, which is, I have changed. I'm not the guy that I was 20 years ago. I'm not the guy that I was 10 or even five years ago. And so I'm like, look, if I didn't do it with all of my wisdom and willpower and self-discipline, then how did it happen? Okay, so here's what I'm, I've got to say, which is that the only thing I did to bring out any real and lasting change in my life is at a certain point, I got saved. That's it. 
The rest of it has been something that God has done in me. I got saved. I started walking with Jesus seriously about, about 23, 24 years ago now. And as a result, I'm a different guy than I was back in those days. I'm different. He's at work in me. I haven't always been able to see it. I haven't always felt it. And by the way, if you've been holding on to an amen this morning, here's a great time to use it. If you feel like you haven't seen or felt a lot of change in your life, here's some good news. God is changing you. He is working in your life. Even when you can't feel it and you can't see it, God is actually at work changing you. And by the way, He's also at work changing the other people that live in your house when you can't see it or feel it in them as well. So that's just some more good news. God is at work, and He's at work changing people who have come to know Him and who are walking with Him. That's really good news. So when I look at the change, the real and lasting change that happened in my life, the best way that I can describe the way that God has been at work in me is this place in the book of Romans. At the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about the grace of Jesus and everything, and he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Like you can't out sin the grace of God. You can't do something so terrible and so awful or be so bad for so long that God's like, you know what, not that one. You're done. You're out. You can't do that. His grace will just get bigger. As the sin gets bigger, the grace gets bigger. And I guess that as Paul was dictating this and, you know, the dude was writing it down and everything, that Paul realized that there was going to be some kid in the back of the class, like me, who's slouching the whole time, chewing his gum, not paying attention. All of a sudden he hears where grace increased, or where sin increased, grace increased, and thought, I have an idea. <laughs> A wonderfully terrible, awful idea. <laughs> Um, Paul, don't know if you've thought of this, but uh, I just came up with a mathematical formula. If where sin increased, grace increases all the more, I'll field test this if you're not willing to. I'll be the guinea pig, but why don't we sin it up? Like, we can just create more grace in the world. This is a grace machine. I'll take it for a test drive. Like, why don't I just be this guy I've always been and just go crazy? And I guess Paul realized that some goober would be thinking like that. And he was like, okay, time out. In the middle of writing the book of Romans, time out, everybody. We have to stop for a second because some guy's in the back of the class thinking this. No, no, you can't just be the, the guy you've always been and just send it up like crazy to make more and more grace. So he takes the entire chapter of Romans 6 to answer that supposed question. Can I just be the idiot I've always been and send it up like crazy just to make more grace? No. And if you divide Romans into two sections, he gives two answers. No is the title of the chapter. Then the subtitle would be, you can't, and then, and you won't. That's basically Romans chapter 6. You're welcome. I'm going to read some of it to you, but you could title it that. You can't and you won't. No. Uh, Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? Such a cool idea. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, so this is section one. Can I just go on being the same old idiot I've always been and just send it up so that grace can increase? And he says, no. And the reason is you can't. You can't because you are not old you anymore. Yeah. 
something has happened to you. Something has actually happened. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You don't feel this change. But in some mysterious, mystical, metaphysical way, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were like dying with him all the way back when he died for you. And then when he was raised to new life, you were raised to a new life. Yes. Old you is dead. So you can't keep being old you because old you is dead. And you actually have been raised up into a whole new kind of life. It's a whole new kind of life where you have a whole new ability you've never had before, which is you can actually live to please God now. So cool. You actually have the ability to have a righteous thought, a righteous response, a sweet and kind and generous Jesus-y life. And you never have before. And by the way, people who have never said yes to the offer, author, the offer that Jesus makes, they don't have it. You have a new kind of life in ways they don't, which this is just an aside, if you'll give me two seconds. Um, it's not the only reason, but it's a really good reason why, why it's really dumb for Christians to spend all of their effort and, and energy and thought on making sure that our country has rules to legislate that everybody behave like we're supposed to. Yes. That's a really dumb way for us to waste our energy. People who don't know Jesus are not held to the same standards of behavior we are, and in fact, they can't. They're still old then. What if we took all that energy and we put it into loving all of them like Jesus, and maybe they would want to wake up to a new life? Okay, time in. Done with that. Um, okay, so you can't. You can't actually stay that same old guy because you're new now. Old you is dead. New you is alive. Okay, so you can't. It's not, that's not going to work. That's not the way things work. But then part two of Romans chapter six is, by the way, you won't. So this is what he says. Verse, verse 20 says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. In other words, like, when you did messed up stuff back before you knew Jesus, you loved it. Like, you, you weren't, like, bound by the control of righteousness. When you did messed up stuff, you, come on, am I the only one who loved it? Come on now. You loved it, didn't you? You loved it. You loved doing stupid stuff. You loved being mean. You loved talking about people. It was awesome. He says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So what Paul's saying is, back in the day when you were old you, all the stupid stuff you did that made you a person that needed to be saved, you didn't have any problem with it. You thought it was great. Like, this party's lit. Like, you loved all the stuff, and you meant it. All of that stuff was great. I mean, for me in particular, I think about so many temptations, so many cycles of sin, so much wrong stuff, stuff we can all get on board with, just the greed and the selfishness, the, the anger. Did any of, of y'all just love to get a good anger on? Just like, yeah. I'm going to sink my teeth into this anger, and I'm just going to ride it all yes. day long. Like, it feels, it feels good. I like it. I'm going to, like, who's on my list next? You're going to get a piece of it. <laughs> like, I like it. That's awesome. Okay, that's really, really fun. Or just that thing of, like, I've got to be right about everything. I love being right. Being right feels good. It's the best feeling in the whole world. Am I the only one? No. Okay. Um, just defensiveness, just defending myself to the hilt about everything. Now, look, I'm not telling you I don't do those things, but a miraculous and wonderful thing has happened. I hate them now. Yes. Oh, I hate them yep. now. I hate what they do to my relationships. I hate what they do to the, 
the thing that I have with people that I care about, that I want something good. I used to love being, being right and being defensive and getting angry. I hate the way it feels now because old me is dead. The Holy Spirit of God has moved into the house. I've got this new roommate. He rearranges everything. He doesn't ask me about any of it. And now stuff that I used to love, I hate the way it feels. What benefit are you now deriving from the things that you're, that you're ashamed of? You used to like them. You don't anymore. Can I just be that same old me? No, you can't. That's not the way that works. Old you is dead. There's actually a new version of you. You have these new abilities to, to live a life that's pleasing to God. Can I be the same old me? You actually won't because you hate it. The stuff you used to like, you hate it now. I have a new ability. I have new appetites. I live in a new reality. I have new reasons. When I, I'm not saying that I'm perfect or that I've got it all worked out. <clears throat> Just ask anybody in my family, okay? We're st we still got a lot of work to do, me and Jesus. But like, what I will say is that when I go back to those old things, it's like trying to squeeze into clothes that don't fit you anymore. It's just uncomfortable. You're fooling yourself. You look ridiculous, and everybody knows it. Yeah. You know, when I was 12, <laughs> I was thinking about this th this week. When I was 12, about my favorite thing in the world to eat was like a fruit roll-up. Like, give me a box of fruit roll-ups. My mom wouldn't buy them that often. And whenever I would find one, I'd be like, oh, it's like Indiana Jones. Like, I have found a fruit roll-up, you know? Like, I love fruit roll-ups. I love, like, a two-liter of cream soda. Like, mm. That was about as good as it. And Burger King. I freaking loved Burger King. I just loved Burger King. And I remember, y'all, this is the truth. I remember having this thought when I was 12 years old. When I grow up and I'm an adult and I got my own car and my own job and my own money, I can get as many fruit roll-ups as I want. I can live off cream soda and never touch a glass of water, mom. And I can go to Burger King whenever I want to. So that's going to be awesome. Now this weird thing has happened. I'm 43. Um, fruit roll-ups are delicious, but they're not really worth it because all that stuff is spot welded to your molars, and so it's like more work to get them off. And cream soda is just too sweet, y'all. Let's just admit it's just too sweet. It's too much. And Burger King. I mean, I still go. <laughs> for the rest of the day, like I feel terrible, it feels terrible. When I met Jesus, when I met Jesus about 23, 24 years ago and really started walking with him, I entered into a maddeningly slow and irresistible process of real and actual change. When you started walking with Jesus, you entered into a maddeningly slow and irresistible process of real and actual change. Old you is dead. New you is alive. You don't like the stuff that you used to like as much anymore. How do we get, like, you know, be a part of that process this year as we go into 2023? I want to suggest two things, and I'm done. Thing number one is when you recognize something in you that does need to change and it's just moving too slow, guess what? You can just talk to him about that directly. Yeah. Hey, can you get to work on this in me? I hate the way this feels. I hate it. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Can we work on that a little bit more? And then thing number two is, and I prescribe this in every area of life, be honest about the way that you feel after you do something. 
Be honest with yourself about the way something feels after you do it, after you experience it. When you go there, when you talk that way, when you, when you respond that way, when you have that kind of conversation, you, you throw a snarky comment to somebody and you got to chuckle and stuff. Be honest with yourself about the way that feels in that room. Be honest with yourself about what happens when you are you. Be honest with him, be honest with you. Um, he's going to do his thing. He's going to grow us. I think that we can enter into that process by being a little more needy and a little more honest. Yes. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for what we've heard. and Thank you for the way that you move in us and you work in us and you change us. I'm praying this year that you would help us to have the courage to be a little more honest and to enter into this process that you are doing. And I thank you that, that in my life, most of the real change has been a miraculous work of the Spirit of God because I would not be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for loving us the way you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When I needed rescue out of deep, deep water